So, we'll have to let the chat decide. That's right. Welcome back, everybody. We are live with another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greensaw, joined, as always, by a panel this week, uh, much smaller than usual. This is a Father's Day episode, and I'm joined first by a father himself, Spartan Grown. Welcome, Spartan. Thank you, Jack. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there. Um, all you fathers and all you mothers that have to be fathers, you know, this is a big day for you. So cheers to that. <laughs> um, Spartan Grown, you can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, or you can shoot me a, an email at Spartan Grown at Gmail if you have a question. I do both synthetic growing uh, commercially here in Michigan and also at home, I am an organic grower. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us on Father's Day here. We've got Dr. MJ Coco joining us, but I'm going to pass it over next to Matthew Gates. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates, and um, I'm happy as always to be here, of course, and we'll have some cool conversations, I'm sure. Um, shout out to the chat as always. Um, I definitely want to say what I said before again. Uh, but more articulately, <laughs> I want to say thanks for the chat and everyone who checks us out every week. I feel like we have a real community here and in the other cannabis um, blade areas. So I really appreciate that camaraderie. Welcome back. Always a pleasure to have you. And uh, next up, if he's with us, can you hear me? Dr. MJ just joined. Might still be working on getting his audio set up. But I do want to say happy Father's Day like uh, to Spartan Grown and all the other fathers out there and to some of the forefathers of cannabis. Shout out to them, the people that uh, are both known by the community, the awesome breeders like the Shanti Babas the, uh, of Mr. Nice, uh, Neville Shoemaker of uh, the Seed Bank, also known as Sensi Seeds later on, Ben Dronkers, um, DJ Short, many of the other forefathers of cannabis that have bred some of the awesome stuff in the early years and uh, sometimes for get forgotten about. So it's uh, cool to give a shout out to those sort of forefathers of cannabis. And uh, some of them are actual fathers, like DJ Short has his son, JD Short, who's second generation genetics out there. So it's pretty cool to see that he's continuing the cannabis growing legacy, not only growing it, but breeding it as well. So pretty awesome stuff. I know that there's many, many more people that, like I said, won't be named or have probably been uh, given credit at some point, but maybe um, are not as much anymore. And uh, it's a shame in some regard, but definitely it's nice to give props to the culture and where cannabis came from. Uh, Dr. MJ, are you with us yet? You got your audio. It looks like you might have uh, got everything set up. So, so. Uh, I think maybe sort of. Yeah. Hey, can you hear me? Yep. We can hear you now. All right. I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. Running a little bit late and frazzled, but uh I will be able to be here for the first part of this show today, and it was four o'clock before I even realized it, so I uh, jumped in, and I'm happy to be here. Time flies when we're uh, having fun, right? Anyway, I want <laughs> yeah, to- Yeah, that's what it is, exactly. <laughs> keep them busy, at least, so uh, that's a good thing. Uh, yes. yes. Last yeah. week, I don't think you were able to join us, but we were uh, contemplating talking about doing like an episode called like Coco versus, and not in a like competition uh, sense, but- how does cocoa compare to like soil as a medium? And I know Spartan Grown and I are soil growers, but you weren't here with us last week and we talked a bunch, a little bit about soil and uh, like one part water only and things like that. So I'm curious if you could give us just a little bit of uh, how you feel cocoa as a medium and just growing um, from like a culture standpoint, how it is to be a grower in cocoa versus soil from your perspective as a predominantly cocoa grower. That's an interesting question. Um... 
you know, it, it depends on a, a number of factors. The reason I grow in cocoa is because I think it, it provides the most consistent, reliable results. Um, and you can grow really quickly in it. it. It has a number of sort of really good horticultural properties, uh, specifically amongst them, the air to water ratio, which um, allows sort of frequency of fertigation that other medias don't. A lot of people run soil as though it's a hydroponic media. Um, so if you're running soil and, and using hydroponic nutrients with it, um, you're basically just using sort of an inferior media to grow in hydroponically because um, soil can do some other things um, with cation exchange and, and sort of create microbes if you're doing a living soil or, or um, even a, a there's just so much differences between the, the basic three ways that you can grow in soil to create a living soil, to heavily amend a soil or to fertigate a soil um, that they're, they're just really different. So it's hard to compare sort of soil in general to cocoa. Um, it comes close to even people like that are doing that. Maybe like a contrast. I would say this, you know, cocoa versus rock wool. There we go. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why on the offset, I would not prefer rock wool, for example. But, and DWC even like other forms of hydroponics. Yeah. I was just, I think we could do like one week. We work focus on how cocoa compares to the other ones. And I, I'm, I'm all about it, man, because I think in the end, cocoa looks pretty good. Um, yeah. In comparison to Rockwell, Rockwell is another of these hydroponic media that, that you can really control everything. in. the main drawback is I see it to Rockwell is the waste and that it's exactly product. Um, yeah. And cocoa is something that grows on coconuts. So it's a, it's really sort of a different in terms of environmental impact, especially on the waste side, even more than on the sourcing side, probably on that. And agriculture, um, the, waste, the waste cycling in agriculture has historically been pretty, pretty difficult to achieve um, at scale. So, I, I mean, everyone who did rock wool moved to a, a, different, a different system, whatever that system was. Uh, that was more sustainable. I mean, just that by itself would be, you know, hundreds or thousands of tons of uh, yeah. waste mitigated. I think they do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think Rockwell is really wasteful. And th these are the kinds of decisions um, that, you know, th there's pros and cons in it. We're all deciding to be somewhat wasteful when we grow indoors in a tent um, because the benefits of what we're doing outweigh the cost of what we're doing. But um, all of these things, it, it's really important to, to keep that in mind. Um, I think partner, did you have a comment? Sorry to cut you off the top. Mentally sort of costly. Oh, I was just going to say like, I know, it was a tangent, but I was just like, I mean, how wasteful is it? It's just rock. I mean, it, I mean, even if it's going to landfill, it's throwing rocks in the landfill. So yeah, it's wasteful moving that shit around. I agree, but I mean, it's not like a toxic substance. Well, it almost is a toxic substance once it's coming out of a, a hydroponic grow. Um, Hopefully they flush their shit. I mean, it's, it's pretty neutral. Yeah. I think that some it, people it really are really reusing it. Trash. And the manufacturing process that goes into it is, is not just sort of like picking up a rock. I mean, it's a fairly energy intensive process. And I will say that at least like the Jungle Boys have uh, talked about reusing it and certain processes are beginning. I think uh, certain companies that make rock wool have figured out how to begin to reuse it. And if not for direct cannabis cultivation, if you ever see on the side of the roads where there's like 
uh, mudslide areas and rock slide yeah. or whatever, like it, they put it into like a basically mesh and that rock wool will absorb a lot of the runoff from areas that need to um, basically have a little bit of a, it, it stops things from getting into the road essentially is all I wanted to say, but I want to pass it back to doc to give us a little bit more info on how cocoa as a medium compares to let's say like DWC um, maybe some advantages of one uh, compared to the other. So with all three of these, with Rockwell, with Cocoa, and with DWC, you can achieve the same rate of growth. I mean, you can really sort of maximize the, the growth of the plant um, if you're paying attention to the right parameters. Um, DWC is just a little bit more difficult to manage because there is no, you're not structurally or physically managing the air to water ratio like you do in Cocoa. Um, you're doing it with pumps or fountains or oxygenating the water or pumping air into the water. Um, and those all create sort of failure points for your, for your grow system. Um, it's not saying that it's going to fail, but, you know, I always worry about DWC growers the most when we have power outages because they're the ones that go into immediate crisis. Um, the rest of us have a few hours before we're sort of like in an absolute crisis. Um, and so, you know, I've seen, and we've done a lot of DWC versus cocoa growth side by side, and you get the same sort of style of growth. I just think it's, it's easier basically to manage a cocoa grow. Matthew, from an IPM perspective, can you maybe uh, weigh in on any differences between cocoa and something like DWC or Rockwell? Not legally. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I mean, I think the main one that comes to my mind is that like, like what uh, Dr. MJ just said, uh, you know, the physicality of a medium like rock wool or cocoa versus, you know, deep water culture, where you don't have that physical the substrate structure. Um, and the first thing that uh, pops out at me is uh, organisms that live in that substrate. Um, microbial and microarthropods and that sort of a thing. So you couldn't rely on some of these things as well. Now, some people might think, well, hold up. If it's just water, uh, aren't insects and things like rice root aphids going to drown? And um, unfortunately, no. I mean, like they're not going to, I mean, some, so like rice root aphid, Rhopalocyphum rufi abdominale, it has, uh, it's very closely related to another in that genus, that's the um, water lily aphid. And I think that's um, nymphy or something like that. I actually forget in the moment, uh, but that one's semi-aquatic. Now we don't have a lot of research about rice root aphids, uh, admittedly, generally, they're usually a pest in grasses and weeds and things like that. Um, cannabis is just kind of a cool outlier for us, I guess, but uh, they can exist in that little space between where the water is and um, you know, where, where, uh, where it kind of hits the um, that sort of like nexus point. Uh, I'm, I'm not explaining it very well, but I think people know what I mean, kind of where, the, where it becomes the trunk, you know, that crown. And um, so just because you have mostly water doesn't mean that you're free from that, that particular arthropod pest and threat. Um, and in addition to that, you've got like Pythium and Phytophthora and things like this. These are- Yeah, um, that's what I was gonna ask you about, Matthew. I mean, yeah. the, the issues with root rot in DWC are much more significant. You, we almost never see uh, root rot in cocoa. I would say um, a lot of people, and I think a big part of that is of course um, the temperature, but people don't, it's mostly the acknowledgement or lack of it that uh, they have to keep their temperature levels low. Um, I, I, uh, 
I've worked with a lot of home growers who um, do not have this situation um, handled. And what they do is they get weird like bacterial biofilms and like sort of like molds and everyone's setup is different and, and just weird things kind of happen. Sometimes they're mostly innocuous, like a slime mold or something um, or a mushroom. Sometimes. No, would you agree that that's, I mean, the, the real issue there is, is dissolved oxygen temperatures, just sort of uh, a contributing factor to there not being enough dissolved oxygen. I, I actually am not sure if that's a significant part of it. Um, I feel like at least for the, microbes that I had named uh recently yeah uh, like the like the pythium and stuff um I think it's mainly uh, that the temperatures if it's lower it, it, it kind of um it makes the, the the development just sort of uh the kind of a, I think it's arrested somewhat um but maybe but I but maybe so you're saying that the cold is the primary mechanism for a lot of those organisms I've always uh, approached um water management for pathogens uh, under the assumption that it's it's I mean, I wouldn't say assumption necessarily, but under the, the thought that it's primarily um, about keeping high levels of dissolved oxygen. Well, I actually like to hear more about that if you have some more information on that perspective, because I have a feeling that it's probably more well-informed. Um, well, there's a big sort of um, tipping point with uh, how much oxygen can be dissolved in water um there's a, a curve to that and there's a, a tipping point right at about 70 degrees fahrenheit that um you really it, it really starts to taper off in terms of how much um well you really start to fall off a cliff rather in terms of how much dissolved oxygen can be maintained in that warmer water as the water gets colder you can you can keep a lot more dissolved oxygen in colder water than you can in warmer water um, and so when we're thinking about like the temperature to keep your water for um, DWC or for fertigation, if you're setting up an automatic watering system, um, the reason we want to keep it down at about 68 degrees is because that's cold enough basically to keep a high enough percentage of dissolved oxygen in the water. Um, being colder would actually allow us to keep more dissolved oxygen, but you need to keep the water temperature within range of sort of the, the air temperature in the room, um, or you can adversely affect plant growth if there's if you're sort of shocking the roots with much colder water than they expect. So um, we try to keep the, the water temperature within about 10 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit of the air temperature, um, and that prevents the water from getting too low. But it's on the low side, we're, we're cautioning against sort of shocking the plant. But on the high side, we're really worried about dissolved oxygen. And if the water gets too hot, the dissolved oxygen levels drop, and that creates a much more favorable environment for some of the, the you know, anaerobic bacteria. That's definitely true. Um, I guess the reason why it didn't occur to me in that moment is primarily because I don't even know off the top of my head what that proportion is. Do you do? What, what proportion is what, the dissolved oxygen ratios? Yeah, around that temperature, the colder temperature, like 68, because that's, that's no, definitely- I don't want to put any hard numbers. I just, I, I mean, oh. <laughs> that's sort of an inflection point on the curve, right? So you want to sort of keep it- It's just one parameter, right? There. Yeah, you want to keep it below 70 degrees Fahrenheit because above 70 degrees Fahrenheit, it's just the water, it really starts to drop off how much oxygen, but I don't want to quote any numbers without looking them up. No, no for sure.
Before we uh, pass it over to Spartan Grown, I was curious if you had any final thoughts on if there's any benefits to of those three mediums uh, that you see from an IPM perspective, D- DWC, deep water culture, uh, compared to cocoa, compared to rock wool. I mean, I think the main point that I made is maybe the most like fundamental and critical, but it's also the most obvious one. So I'd like to try to wreck my brain for that one. Um, I guess like, well, this is actually kind of Dr. MJ's point too, but essentially if it is more convenient, if it's more easier for you to achieve an objective, like the growth of the plant or certain factors that um, are attributable to the growth of the plant and overall, like holistically, it's going to be easier for you from like a, I guess, from a time management perspective, right? And from other perspectives to do other things more efficiently and not be beleaguered by them. Um, That's not a specifically IPM thing, but I think it's a logistical consideration that a lot of home growers and commercial growers don't take into account. That's a good point. Spartan, I know in the past you've mentioned that you've kind of done it every way. You grow in soil at home right now, you're growing in cocoa at work, but I know that you've even got some DWC buckets over there that you've grown in in the past. So I think this is kind of a perfect uh, chance for you to jump in and say your thoughts, starting with, I guess, cocoa as the base, because I want that to be the focus for this week, and then comparing that next to what else you've grown in, like the uh, DWC, uh, I think they're the closest, and then going on to maybe soil. Okay. Um, I would agree with the uh... Dr. Coco with his statement early on when he said that, you know, in all three of these, you can achieve the same growth rates if you understand, I don't know, I, I don't forget how he wrapped it up, but basically the way I took it was watering technique because you water all of them differently um, to achieve the best results, at least in my opinion. For example, cocoa. if you do high frequency fertigation, you're not watering these cocos once a day you're doing smaller amounts, but more frequently, you can achieve some, you can achieve DWC results or pretty goddamn close uh, of growth. It's, it's, it's amazing. You don't think it should work, but it does. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those weird things. Um, so you absolutely can do it, but you have to invest a little bit of time and effort into it. Okay. It's not, it's not, your classic organic, I'm just going to throw water on the plant and be good for the grow. You, you have to put a little effort into it. You have to learn the technique and you have to learn, you know, salts, salt feedings over just throwing water on something. But that can be part of the fun of the hobby. And some it's, there's two types of people. Some people love it and some people hate it. Um, and for me, I really love it at work and when I get home and want to relax, I want to try the other way kind of a thing. That's, that's just how I am. I'm, I'm just different. Uh, I just love every aspect of the plant, I guess, maybe. And I, and that's why, like, I, the only way that I've seen growing that I, that I haven't tried myself is aeroponically, like spraying the roots. Cause that just scares the fuck out of me. I know I fucked that up. And in aquaponics, you can get food too there. So you got tilapia and you got cannabis or tomatoes exactly. or something. That's- that's actually probably my next venture. My next venture, um, as far as if I branch out into a different grow style, would be aquaponics organic. Uh, the dual root zone, like my buddy uh, Potent Ponics, uh, Steve Reisner does. I would uh, take his class, learn what I could from him, and go down that way, that route. That's probably, if I change anything, that's probably what I would do in my home grow. 
but to get back to the question as far as comparing them it, it's hard to compare them if you know how to grow them all optimally because they're very similar um, and there's advantages and disadvantages to all of them um, i would say like dwc the advantages you don't have a medium really it's water so cleanup's pretty fucking easy uh you're not throwing you know you're not throwing stuff away you're not repurposing it anywhere or reusing it or any of that when it comes it's water <laughs> you know so that makes that part of it super easy and you know when you uh for example in cocoa when you get towards the end of the, of the run, I'm a proponent of flushing. I know that's a hot topic now, but I am still a proponent for flushing. And it's a fuck ton easier to flush when you don't have any media at all. You can just literally change out the bucket <laughs> and put a whole new bucket of absolutely clean water with nothing in it. I mean, you can flush in days rather than weeks when you have that kind of ability. What's but, your flushing uh, method for cocoa? My flushing method for cocoa is I do a whole, I call it the whole, uh, whole cycle flush. So I start out, this is controversial too. I start out probably at my highest EC uh, towards the beginning of my runs. And then I slowly taper off throughout the grow. And I try to finish my grow. My target is 200 over low uh, PPMs on the 500 scale. And uh, I mean, if I saw a zero, I would be thrilled, but it doesn't have to be. You're talking during the flush? During the flush. Yeah. So, yeah. so when I'm down to about the last two weeks where I think the plant has about two weeks to go, I'm paying attention to my runoff or my EC in my bucket or whatever we're talking about. And I will make adjustments throughout the grow because I kind of have targets in my head. I'm like, okay, this this seems to be dropping easy pretty fast when I made this adjustment. So maybe I'll leave it here for a little bit. And you know, my, my next step where I know I'm getting another week closer, I want my target of EC or PPMs, whatever you're using. We'll say PPMs, it makes it easier. Say like, okay, no, I'm approaching flush. EC is easier. Easy I'm just saying easier. for number, I'm saying it's finer tune. You know what I mean? It's finer adjustments of numbers. When I say 0 0.1, 0 0.2, that's why I use micro Siemens. Um, so just just talk about 1.2 is 1200, and right. then you have so even more okay. granularity. Okay. Okay. So so say if I'm at if my target's 200 and I'm at 1200 and I only have you know a week yeah. to flush, then I'm going to obviously flush early. I'm going to just be like, you know what, time to cut the nutrients. But what I really like to do in, in my little ethos, no matter which way I grow. My ethos is, is like plants seem to do best in my opinion and in my experience with consistency. So when I make changes, I don't like to make dramatic changes, except, you know, there's always a caveat, except unless I'm trying to cause a stress, I'm trying to cause a stress response, but normally I'm not. So I feel it's less stressful if you can leave the PPMs fairly even or uh, just small changes in ppms or ec instead of large changes in people like when people do bloom boosters and they go from one week and then the next week they jump up a crazy amount i don't think i don't that I don't always like provokes problems. issues and people keep doing yeah. it i know i'm, I'm totally Martin. yeah so i just try to keep, i just try to do a real gradual i'll be at 700 on the 500 scale i'll be at 700 at you know week five and people will be like, yo, you should be blasting it with, with more. I'm like, why? 
why i i prefer to like micro feed my plants instead of overfeed my plants i don't i don't know but you're asking my opinion and, and that's the way i like to grow the plants um there's a million ways to do it and so when i approach flush i want to be as close to my target 200 as possible so if i'm coming into my flush week and i'm sitting at 400 then I know that I can just give it my regular flush, which is just cut out the nutrients. I don't have to push a bunch of water through or anything like that, or even add a flushing agent. I don't have to do any of that crap. I just do what I normally do. Just give it straight water and that's it. And let those PPMs naturally come down pretty easily. But if it's opposite, if I go in there and I'm at over a thousand, I'm like, all right, something drastic is going to have to happen here. I'm going to have to probably push the week another, push the plant another week. And I'm going to have to just, you know, maybe, even invest, which I hate doing, but going and buying like a flushing agent or something just to hit a good heavy uh, feed with that flushing agent for the first time to really break up the salts in the media and get that process started and flushed out. So that's my, that's my process. So you would normally not use a flushing agent at all. Um, right. Well, because it's usually don't have the buildup. Yeah, do you do I, a wetting agent in your flush? No, I would just do a straight RO water. Okay. Well, that would just be one idea. It's an intermediate step between sort of just using straight RO water and using a flushing agent. Well, that's a good idea because I could get and you flush. In fact, I could do that um, really, really cheap yucca probably because I can get powdered yucca. Yeah, yucca. Um, exactly. Yep, yucca. It's not gonna stop it. If you um, want to use the... there are flushing agents that basically are just yucca water and they're i mean you could make that quart bottle for you know i mean yucca itself is pretty expensive but it's probably like you know an eighth of a teaspoon of yucca yeah with water but at our and level they sell it for 50 bucks so but at our level we're going to be using probably teaspoons or ounces of that in our big red yeah 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 but get the powder don't get the yeah the, the flushing agents what's um, um is there yeah, any if you use with enough it? yucca powder it basically is a flushing agent and is there any concern at all with buildup in lines and or, or bacteria or anything? No, it actually helps all of that. Because, of, okay, good. Yeah, adding a wetting agent is something that they do in um, drip irrigation systems specifically to keep the, the um, emitters from clogging and other things like that. So and a lot of nutrients, a lot of actual nutrients have those included too. Yeah, it, it makes it things basically to a point it makes things easier to dissolve in the water it makes the water sort of wetter it, wetter. it breaks yeah. that tension and allows it to bond to other things the one flushing agent i, I use with heavy 16 it was called finish and if you look up the msds it's just soluble potash so yeah. you can just like get a little bit of that and mix that with some water and i think that there's a lot cheaper like ways to source that than through hydroponic nutrient companies um, but yeah, it's, I think yeah, this is the other side. There's another side agent. of this is when if people mix their nutrient water with too much wetting agent, it will basically act like a flush. Um, that, that's the, the downside to overdosing on yucca and your nutrient water and why you only just want to use a little bit. But um, if you use more, it'll act like a flush. And I think yucca will also kill all your fish if you're in uh, aquaponics. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's not fish friendly, but you, uh, maybe... I don't know. Maybe the saponins and soap nuts might be okay. I'm not sure. I'd imagine that. I think those aren't. Wrong. I don't think those are good either. If I remember correctly, about it aloe. might be the flushing agent uh, probably affects like their gills, maybe something that like. It's probably of... that the fish don't want the water to be too wet, guys. I, I think it's actually. I think you're exactly right. They drown that. in the. They drown in the river. Yeah, they, they would drown <laughs> in the water. Right. Exactly. The fish would drown if there was not more surface tension in the water. 
getting back to growing, uh, what about when you're in organic Spartan? Do you have a flush uh, practice there? Or how do you go about finishing up your so, harvest? So maybe. Um, no, no. I wouldn't call it flush. Uh, I do kind of the same thing we do if my like I was explaining with cocoa and um, I don't do any more top dressings or I'm not adding any nutrients at that time, but I'm, I'm not even attempting to remove nutrient out of the media at all. Um, all I'm doing is just giving it straight water, which I do a lot of the time anyway. So would I call that a flush? No, but do I call it feeding it? I guess in a roundabout way it's feeding it if there's still nutrition available in the soil and the microbes available and the plants, you know, interacting and pulling up nutrients. Maybe, maybe I'm feeding it. It's just so hard to answer that question. Subcool used to joke that he's flushing the entire time with the super soil, which I think is kind of a fun way of looking at it from the organic side. But uh, Dr. MJ, I know that you talked a little bit about uh, how cocoa varies compared to rock wool and hydroponic DWC. Um, but I'd like to hear because Spartan, and since we're on the topic of this, but what is your flushing protocol since we're kind of talking about it now? There's sort of three different types of flushing um, that I describe. There's um, flushing to lower EC, which is basically not a real flush. You're just going to sort of drop the EC on the inflow water, but you may give it a little bit more water. And the goal is to lower the electrical conductivity. You have a flushing to break lockout if you've triggered some sort of lockout issue um, and the protocol for that is different. And then there's flushing to, um, you know, at the end of the harvest, which, uh, you know, I do too, um, but I only do it within like the first last five days of the grow. Um, so in a shorter duration than Spartan does. Um, what EC are you shooting for? What's that? What EC are you shooting for on the like flush? for the final harvest? Oh, the same. Um, yeah, so I wanna get the EC down below four or 400. Um, you know, 200 to 400 and that range is, is okay. And I'll let them sit there for a couple of days and then harvest, um, but really just a couple of days. I, I think that flush isn't, there's a whole lot of speculation about it, but I've come down on the side that I think what happens to the extent that there's a beneficial response, it's basically the plant responding to the shock and um, I, I think that that would be achieved within a week. And then after that, you're probably inhibiting growth by the lack of nutrition um, in a hydroponic media. It's just different than some other media where the plant would still have access to nutri nutrients. But man, if you're down at, at a, a runoff EC of about 200 in cocoa, the plant's got nothing. I mean, the plant has access to, to no nutrients from that basically. So. But would you um, agree with, I think this is kind of the thing that I most agree with when I've heard people explain it. Do you think that the flush or the removing of nutrients, so like the, the plant not having as much available nutrient to it is kind of like a bio signal to it to like start senescence, to start that process to kind of shut down? No, um, I think it probably more than anything else, if you suddenly remove them, it depends on if they're tapering off Spartan or if you're sort of suddenly removing them. A, a sudden removal, which is what happens when we like dramatically drop the EC. And that doesn't sound like what you're doing. You're, you're sort of tapering them off. So the plant may respond to that. Um, it, it may get some sort of signal to hurry things up, but I'm not really aware of what that signal would be. Um, 
I'm more doing it to, to sort of shock the plant. And when I flush, I flush in an event. I drop the EC down really dramatically in one event, and then I let them sit there for the last few days of their life. Um, the there's so much sort of anecdotal evidence about this. I feel pretty sketchy because I like to do things based on science and this one is sort of sketchy. But, you um, sit there with, so they sit there with no events at all then for a couple of days? Oh no, I'll keep watering them, oh, okay. but just with water. All right. Um, I don't have to water them much at that point. Um, that's the other side of this high frequency fertigation. People ask me this all the time about how much do you need to water during the flush or you need to water during the dark period at the end. No, you, you really don't. Once the EC is, is low enough, um, cocoa holds onto a whole hell of a lot of water. So the plant's got plenty of water for days in cocoa, um, as long as the EC is really low. The problem is when you're fertigating and you're keeping a much higher EC, um, as soon as it starts to dry out at all, the EC starts to spike. And, and that's really what creates the problem with um, you know, not doing a high enough fertigation frequency the rest of the time. But if you've got your plants sitting in like 200 EC water, um, they can suck up most of the water out of that plant. So you can cut down at that point to once a day watering, or you can skip a day. Again, there's only a couple of days left. Um, certainly if you don't water in the last 24, 36 hours before harvest, that's not a problem either. Spartan Grown, I see that you're lighting up over there, but I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on the differences between watering practices from cocoa uh, compared to soil. So I really am on the high frequency fertigation train with cocoa. And let me, <laughs> this might be controversial because I don't, I don't know. I just see so much opposite stuff. So if you're going to grow in cocoa, I believe in 100% cocoa, man. I've, we've tried it both ways now. And I'm convinced, man, 100% cocoa is way the fuck better than cocoa with perlite in it. I don't care what percentage. Um, we were doing 70-30. That's where we were for a while. Can I just add that it depends really on the rest of what you're going to say, Spartan, because that really depends on your water management, your feed management, the size of your containers, and so many other things that, that those blanket statements just scare me. So the science behind that statement is, is that cocoa while saturated holds still enough oxygen for your roots to survive. So why are you adding perlite? The only reason you would add perlite was to be able to water more often, maybe, because then it'll, it'll help drainage. It won't hold on to much, it won't hold on to as much water. I love the fact that cocoa holds on to water. That's what I fucking love about cocoa. Fucking leverage the media to do what it's best at. And that's to hold water. So, when you combine that with your high fertigation or your, your more than one water, you're doing multiple waterings in one day. When you combine that with that, knowing that even when this is fully saturated, my roots have enough oxygen, as long as like the water temperatures are right and everything else is right. So that you don't, it takes away the fear from watering a plant that you would normally in a peat situation think, oh, I can't water this. It's still got weight to it. I need it to dry back. It's totally alien and weird, but no, you got to look at 100% cocoa like a dish sponge, kind of. You just want to keep it at the same moisture level and keep it saturated with water. And you have to remember, too, that every time that you water, at that point is, is the most highly oxygenated water, 
right? So the more waterings you get, you're, you're getting more dissolved oxygen in your water. And that's why you get that increased growth. I think that's what, that's the key. And that's what leverages the advantages of cocoa as a medium, because you can't, you could never as Pete say, I'm going to water. I would never try to attempt that in Pete just because Pete needs, I've never been in a Pete situation unless you just mix in a ton of perlite uh, to be able to get away with a high purgation like that, like a lot of events. I do want to say though, that I really appreciate it. This is, we've come more into alignment than I think that we were um, in terms of how we managed Coco a while ago. I, I just want to throw out there that it's not just about being able to water more frequently with the perlite. It's really about the way the water moves through the media. Um, and you can think of it in terms of drainage, but it's not that we're actually trying to get the water to like drain out of the bottom of the pot. We're trying to keep water moving, um, you know, sort of through the pore spaces in the, the cocoa itself. Um, otherwise, there's sort of a hydrodynamic flow that the plant removes most of the water and the plant will remove the water from the areas where it has the most roots, which is generally around the edges and the bottom of the container. So in 100% cocoa in a larger container, the, the center portion of that container, sort of like the, the core of the planet of the pot, right, um, won't have enough um, sort of water flow through it. Um, the water there gets stagnant. And you're absolutely right. Most of the dissolved oxygen comes directly from the water, not from like pore spaces in the media. And that water will become hypoxic and it becomes uh, just, it, it takes that part of the, the pot out of production. Um, but and that's why I, I, I will, I'll, I mean, I'll push back really hard and say, no, I think unless you're in a really small container, perlite is still helpful for the way the water flows through the pot. I would offer, I would push back again though and say then yep. if I was running into that issue, I would add a dripper or I would add a sprayer or add another dripper. The problem is and it's would... oversaturated. The problem is that that cocoa in the middle of the pot stays fully saturated. Know, but, yeah, but my point is, is in cocoa, you got, I have to fucking fight against it all the time, but in cocoa, you got to think differently. It's that fucking sponge. You got a wet sponge, replace that fucking water. Just push more good water but, through but, it. I, I think I'm the one that talked to you about the wet sponge metaphor. Yeah, you want to keep the make sponge sure you get topped good off. fucking water through there, and then just make sure you get a good runoff. That's a, that's Wait, a, our you biggest. Gotta, jump. You gotta that understand, Spartan. A sponge has really good porosity, so the sponge, the water will distribute out to the sponge to all the places that it goes. Well, I'm just using. Okay, I'm just. I'll, I'll give yeah, you a but that's, that's the we point. The biggest Imagine a sponge where the water was getting sucked off the edges of the sponge, but not out of the middle. And when you added more water, that water that was in the middle of the sponge basically just sits there. The edges of the sponge get rehydrated and dry out and get rehydrated and dried out. But the middle of the sponge just basically sits there. That's the problem that we're yes. trying to avoid. Well, that's one of the problems that we're trying to avoid with perlite. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a specific example because we, when we made the switch, we did struggle with watering for a bit until we yeah. learned. And um, you sound like, what you're describing, it sounds like a hand watering situation. But what I'm talking about is I'm using spray nozzles that we no, can- No, 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 I'm not talking about, it doesn't matter the method. It's the where water the never, water stays saturated. That's what I'm saying is the water doesn't even get to the edges on the pots. You can sit there and watch the whole watering and the water doesn't even fucking reach the edges. It just sprays over the medium and gets sucked straight down. Yes, I, I understand that Spartan. 
But the roots the root of the ball, plant, it's fucking a giant root ball. I mean, let me try to explain. Spot. You keep you keep trying to sort of talk. I, mean, I haven't been able to make this point. The the root, the water is getting sucked out by the roots, right around the edges, and that's where the roots are. The root. If you excavate your plants, the, there won't be a lot of root density right in the middle of the pot. I can stand and, on my root ball and it won't even fucking break down. It's a giant fucking mass of roots. We have yeah. what size your container? Uh, we have three gallons now we're down to yeah three. so you're small enough and you're managing this well enough that you're going to get away with that um a, a three gallon container is probably pretty small or small enough to run pure cocoa uh, if you're pretty careful about it but i, I do think it's easier with perlite um and Man, hey, for you know for teaching new growers um it certainly is a lot easier to, to have perlite in the media than, than to go without, it, it, especially if you're in anything larger than three gallons. Or hand watering, I'll say, for the home grower, because when I was in cocoa, I was hand watering and I do twice a day, uh, which is still considered, I think, high frequency fertigation. And yeah. I did uh, straight cocoa versus 80-20 versus 70-30, um, the Mother Earth mix, and then I mixed like roughly 80-20. And just for me, the pure cocoa, never had as strong of a root ball, but I wasn't using metaphor sprayers and a watering system. I was just hand watering once or twice a day and I probably could have forced more through it. So, I mean, we there's definitely- We hand water all of our veg even now. And that was the difference too that we had to do on our hand water technique on the 100% cocoa was you can't just go and dump the whole fucking whatever, however many mills you're dumping in there. You got to pour it in there let it kind of pool up in the middle and then just fucking let it sit for a minute to soak down through. After you do that, you can just pour it right in and it'll just soak right through perfectly. But if you pour it, if you just pour it through, what you get is it goes around the fucking edges, goes right down the sides, the roots fucking shoot right to the edge. Yeah. You get That's not what I was talking about. Though. That's because it turns hydrophobic if it gets too dry. Yeah, you're right. It's the, just like, it's just like almost. The perlite helps, I think, with that. You don't get certain hydrophobic pockets. Like when that was the one thing I noticed with the pure cocoa ball when I was doing hand watering, as slow as I could water it, I would go like one plant for a few seconds, one plant for a few seconds, and water go back and forth. Yeah, every time. And so when I excavated the root balls, the ones that had a little bit of perlite, whether it was 20% or 30%, always just had a healthier root ball all the way through because there were never any of those pockets. The drainage was just more consistent straight down to the bottom of the pot. And I was using three gallon all the way down to one gallon and you could grow a pretty damn good plant. And I've seen even Chef OMJ, his yeah. uh, solo cup grow was insanely good. But uh, yeah, you don't need a bunch of cocoa to have success. And, um, yeah, and there's a lot of ways you can make, make up for some of these other these other issues. Um, potting up really carefully. I saw small pokers comment in the, in the chat. Um, if you are really good at your transplanting regime, then you can sort of fully colonize your, your roots that way. And that really helps to, to sort of deal with lower ratios of perlite or to go into larger containers with hundred percent cocoa. Um, but you know, a lot of so the things that we're I just doing, wanted to say, cocoa, man, we're using hundred percent cocoa in 10 gallon pots and we got fucking trees of moms in there and I love it. I don't know. Yeah, once if you get a root mass all the way through there, but that's not to say that the plants wouldn't be healthier or happier with a little bit of perlite helping the water movement through the middle of the pot. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't we're getting back that. to sort of the. I can the, tell you that because that's what we used to run, run, and we have healthier fucking plants. I can 100% tell you that. Okay. I'll say and, this to. Um, but we do have to hand water those too. To be devil's yeah, advocate. I, I just feel. <laughs> Sometimes it gets to a point where we're just pushing against each other. I'm trying to make room for that, Spartan, but it, there are, are reasons 
that you can sort of compensate for it with watering and other these other issues. Um, but you know, there's also ways to make it easier on the plants and easier on the gardener. Um, but, and so I'm, I'm really sensitive to all of those issues as well. I also think like environment could play a, a factor. Like if you're in Florida where it's super humid all the time, like maybe a little bit more drainage because you don't want your medium to stay wet as long because you're already fighting humidity, for example. Uh, well, no, you actually want your medium to stay totally saturated pretty much all of the time with cocoa. You just don't want it to always be the same water. You don't want to have stagnant water and you don't want to have dry pockets. You want to avoid both of those. So we do a lot of things um, growing in smaller containers, adding perlite, adding wetting agents and doing high frequency fertigation are all designed to help movement of water through the media. Um, and, and that's one of the, the management principles that, that isn't always remembered in some of these things. We have air to water ratio uh, management, you have um, nutrient management, you have water management, but you, you also have sort of the way that, and uh, the word for this is escaping me right now, the, the technical term for sort of describing the way water moves through soil vertically. Um, but that's also the reason that we use wetting agents is to prevent this, one of the reasons is to, to help with these issues. Help the so water turnover. We had a question or comment in the chat. They said, uh, use pumice stones. And that's what I use in my soil as well as rice hulls. I'm curious if that is ever used in cocoa mixes. I'm sorry, I was reading a different question when you were asking that one. So I think I got crossed there. What, what was asking that if, if pumice, pumice. Would be okay substitute for perlite in, in a cocoa mix? Yeah, I mean, it floats too. Um, those are basically the issues you want. To, there's other things that you can do, other perlite substitutes. Yeah, it's about keeping the water flow moving to the, the media. Do you ever see rice hulls used in cocoa? Because I know there are things like Coco Loco, which are kind of marketed as like a water only cocoa, uh, but I don't think they use rice hulls to my knowledge. Uh, I'll, I don't think I have a bag of it. I'd have to look. Yeah, in terms of a pre prepared product, I don't know that I know any that, yeah, use rice hulls. Well, as it, you were talking earlier about how it should be kept saturated all the way, I know organic growers kind of like to keep their uh, living soil saturated for most of the soil. So they use, like I use rice hulls as a cap. Some people use different forms of mulch. Would it be beneficial to, if you were hand watering or something? No, it's, it's it? really, it's not about the water so much um, as it's about the nutrients at that point. Most of the water still goes to the plant. Uh, there's a little bit of water that's sort of evaporated off of the surface of the pots in our in our grows. Um, a, a whole hell of a lot more if you're out growing outdoors. In an indoor grow, when the pots are really going to be shaded by the canopy, there's not a whole hell of a lot of, of evaporation directly from the pot. The vast majority of the water goes through the plant and is lost to transpiration. So you, you want to keep adding fresh water, basically. You don't want to just keep the water that's there, there. That's a good point. And I think that's why people like Brandon, uh, even though he doesn't consider it like a true soil, I think he considers it a soilless mix, has a lot of aeration. Yeah. I think it's 30% uh, of his mix is um, pumice and 10% rice hulls. And uh, that's 40% of his total soil. 
mix, yeah, which exactly. is pretty high. I wanted to jump back to this question I was reading when you asked me that one. Um, Bucks asked a while ago, does it matter how much runoff you have when you're doing high-frequency fertigation? Um, it bugs, if you're asking if you can have more runoff than you need, it really is an issue of waste. And, and that's probably one of the ways that we can really help prevent being too wasteful in the way that we grow is by limiting the amount of runoff water. Um, I, I almost hesitate to, to tell you that there's not gonna be a real issue for the plants in giving them too much runoff, um, but there is absolutely no need. And I, I really taper my plants down so they're, they just barely get runoff on every event. Um, and if I actually watch one of the events happen, like the, the drippers will come on, they run for about 30 seconds. And it's about two minutes after that, that drips start appearing at the bottom of my pots. Um, and it just drips. And sometimes I'll stay and make sure that I'm getting some drips out of the bottom. Um, but you know, when I'm fertigating six times a day, um, which I did on the last grow, um, just having a few drips show up a few minutes after the fertigation event stops is enough runoff um, when you got the rest of this stuff dialed in. Increasing the amount of runoff is essentially doing a bit of a flush. Um, and there are some reasons that you may need to do that from time to time, but it's, it is tremendously wasteful. Chad Westport asked, flushing for lockout, how much, how often, and what EC and pH? I think he's referring to like targets, both cocoa and soil. Uh, I'll pass it to Doc first for cocoa. I'll talk about cocoa. Yeah, flushing for lockout, I use a flushing agent. Um, I'll hit them hard with a flushing agent. Only about half of the, the container um, volume. So if I'm growing, say, in a three-gallon container, I'd hit them with a gallon and a half of flushing water. Um, so water with a flushing agent or water with a whole hell of a lot of, um, well, a whole hell of a lot, like, a big dose of um, wetting agent of yucca. Do you have a preferred wetting agent? Because I'm sure people will ask in the comments. Or um, flushing Flush? agent, I should say. Um, yeah, you know, I think actually using yucca is pretty much fine. Um, if you buy a product like Sledgehammer, that's that's what it is, essentially. Um, I do also use uh, FloraClean, but I haven't noticed any sort of uh, necessary advantage to that over just using yucca. Um, Fluoroclean works really effectively to break lockout. So um, that's it. And the other question about that was what EC. Um, you MPH. shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to deal with an EC issue if it really is just a lockout. If the lockout's triggered by pH, that flush should should solve it. And if the lockout's triggered by nutrient interactions, that should also solve it. Oftentimes, growers diagnose things that are lockout that are actually uptake issues. And if it's an uptake issue, it should also be solved by that flushing water, sort of half the container volume. Um, yeah. Brian Piper asks, um, you know, what all of the cocoa in commercial um, contexts uh, goes through as a waste, because we were making the point, I assume about rock wool and all that. And um, at least from my experience, I'd just say that uh, um, there's no guarantee that just because a company uses uh, a material um, that is typically uh, either biodegradable or in some way, you know, recyclable, um, there's no guarantee that they're actually going to go through the processes and logistical um, movements necessary to actually make that happen or that their surrounding support 
infrastructure is going to be able to make use of it too. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I don't actually There's know no, the answer to that. Yeah, you have to depend on people trying to be responsible with how they dispose of their wastes too. But I think it's easier to be responsible with cocoa than it is with Rockwell. I think it's possible to be responsible and irresponsible with all. Spartan, do you reuse cocoa at um, no, Mitten Canico? No, we stack it outside and then we have, uh, it's funny because people come out and wood trailers and they'll pick it up and the, they'll smash it all up with uh, hammers and shit and uh, use it for their outdoor grows. Yeah. Because huh. I know like Doc, I think you reuse yours, isn't that? Uh... Yeah, I do. Um, and I've actually talked to a couple of commercial facilities about how to reuse the cocoa. Um, there are commercial facilities that, that reuse it and there's commercial facilities that start over. Most of the, the media companies that sell this stuff will advise you that you have to re, reuse new stuff every run or you won't have the same success and all of this. Um, it, it depends on, you know, your cost benefit analysis on some of these things because there's a labor intensive process to sort of refresh the cocoa back to, uh, a, you know, grade A condition, but it's certainly possible to do that. You know, um, similarly, I also want to mention that uh, Chad Westport in the comments made a really great point about um, IPM and uh, perhaps I over-exaggerate IPM by like describing tons and tons of things kind of outside pest mitigation, but it does, everything is connected after all. <laughs> um, and a really good point that he made was that obviously in like a deep water culture um, and other like hydroponic systems, uh, they're vulnerable to uh, energy fluctuation, right? Like if you don't have any power, then you're in a, you're in a pickle <laughs> in a way that you wouldn't be for soil and indeed different media. So that's another thing that I think people should keep in mind. Um, I actually am, uh, it's very uh, serendipitous because I just got an uninterrupted power um, system for my desktop computer. And I actually was able to recover those who were following me on on that, uh, um, that long trek with me. I actually got 99.99% of my data back from that big oh, old data problem. Yeah, so I'll be able to work on some of the projects we were talking about. And so wanted to bring that up too. But um, this uh, close call with data death has uh, caused me to have some reactions <laughs> in my behavior. So don't let it happen to you with cannabis. I just want to make one comment. So Stabby, uh, shout out to Stabby in chat. He says, uh, talking about the cocoa and reusing it, he says it's a bit of labor, not that hard. When you harvest, leave enough of the stalk to use a handle and you can beat the cocoa out of the root ball really easy, especially if you're using some AirPods. All right, man. Yeah, I agree with that. By, times that by 150 <laughs> and tell me how easy that is. Yeah, exactly. It depends on scale. And that's just to get the, the cocoa out of the roots. And then you have to rinse the cocoa to get rid of the, the excessive peat. And then you have to rebuffer the cocoa. And then you have to rinse the cocoa again. And then you're ready to use it. And, and that'll take a lot of labor hours if you're hiring somebody to do that. But um, which is exactly what I was talking to the people about. They were they were trying to think about the, the cost on that. And Smart Poker um, brings up an important point here that it's really important to go through that whole process. Um, Smart Poker got burned by this. I've been burned by this. Other growers have tried to 
um, you know, take a little shortcut in recycling their cocoa and you will get burned, but there is a way to do it. And you really can get that cocoa back to being as good as it was before, but yeah, you know, it's just a labor intensive process. And I have a video on that, by the way, how to recycle, reuse cocoa. Now that sounds really helpful to know. And um, I've done a project with cocoa in, and used Coco Loco as the base and, um, done like living soil but just use that as the base instead of peat and it's been running for over a year now and that's i mean i don't know a better way to reuse it than that just leave it yeah there. seriously i um you know this has sparked a thought a question in me because um as a california resident uh cannabis prices on the legal market are incredibly large uh big <laughs> Um, and a big part of that is taxes. And I don't want to turn this into a political thing, but let me ask, I'm curious for the chat, how the chat would respond to this question, which is um, if we get rid of like money that the companies have to recuperate based on something like a tax, um, what, what sorts of things would you actually want to factor into a, uh, to a, to the price point of cannabis that you think is really important? Um, and so the thing that I'm talking about, obviously, is exactly the infrastructure that we were talking about for recycling soil or other soilless media substrates and things like that, like cocoa. Um, you know, like if, if you knew that that would cause the, the price of the end product to go up like 1%, 10%, I don't know what, um, among with a lot of other sorts of things, like would you find that acceptable? I think people really need to look at that. And I know that Dr. Yep. Coco and all of us, all of us here uh, very extensively talked about the broader scope and implications that that has. And I, I don't know, I just think that's a, an interesting thing to posit. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a brilliant idea. I think that there should be some regulations about how farms um, interact with the environment in, in cannabis. And if there were funds set up to do things like, you know, do recycling programs and other things like that to, to invest those tax monies in making this industry less damaging. Um, but you know, what they're doing instead is they're sort of encouraging a, a damaging kind of expansion um, in the hopes of raising tax revenue for totally unrelated purposes exactly um, and or they just have terrible regulation like we had to fight for years just this year we've been legal since 2008 just this year we finally got the permission from the state to fucking compost they wanted us to throw yeah. not they want they did we did they want us to throw all our fucking leaves away in the garbage and we couldn't compost fan leaves yeah, I agree that some like like certain regulations just to me at least don't even make sense. Or I feel like maybe they're a bit misguided. But that's the thing, right? Is that um, if we were to misguided. get yeah, if we get rid of the ones that are you know ideally in this hypothetical situation, let's say we slash the things that you know aren't really helpful or irrelevant. You know what would what would be an appropriate high price point reasoning you know for certain cases like sustainability would be a big one for me you know um you know from a, just approaching this from a perspective of an economist though i would say it's all just fanciful bs because the price point is determined by the market and 
the market is in competition with the the black and gray market. And if it's, I mean, that's sort of what's going to eventually set the price point rather than sort of what the audience can bear. Um, the, the approach of sort of what the audience can bear assumes that you already have a monopoly, which is sort of how the state in a lot of these cases is approaching that. But, um, but in, the, in the same I agree with that. It's just a thought experiment. Yeah, yeah. you're definitely yeah. right. Through, those, through, the, through that same economic lens, though, a company can build a brand on perceived quality by adopting said practices that people would hold that in higher esteem and might pay more for it. And yeah, that's the voting with your dollar argument. And I think that that carries some water in some places. But, you know, most, most industries have regulations that are designed to help the industry operate effectively. Um, the, the regulations in cannabis are not designed to help the cannabis industry operate effectively. They're, they're designed to take money from the cannabis industry for other purposes and to sort of uh, regulate cannabis because of social stigmas and other things like that more than to try to help the industry, it seems. Although there's some changing to that, but the the industry's developed in really back asswards way, really. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, looked at the taxes in like San Diego versus tobacco, and it's uh, actually comparable. Like tobacco taxes almost as high as cannabis tax. It's not quite as high, but um, they are. I think a lot of people would say that's ridiculous because one, a lot of people feels a lot more harmful than the other. Um, so, but just when you see that, it's not like alcohol is a much lower tax that I think is more fair. And there was a thing for a while that people wanted to have cannabis taxed at the same rate or of tobacco or alcohol. And that wouldn't really lower it that much for tobacco because California has extremely high taxes on that. So um, the thing that I was going to go to about what we were talking about for paying more, I'd pay more for quality, but it's hard to find that before a lot of the places like you can't smell it. And if you can, it's a sample that's been sitting out in the sun. It's not well kept. And um, one thing I do know, like there's a group called Palomar Cultivation. It's a greenhouse group here in San Diego over by the uh, Native Americans uh, land. They did, uh, they did a sample in the market where they tried hand trimmed bud marketed as hand trim versus machine trimmed and they couldn't get any more cost per pound. So for them, it didn't make sense to pay as much for the hand trimmers to maybe they'll have hand trimmers touch it up, but then they realized the machine trim is just so much more economical for them than going hand trim, even though most of us would prefer that. And like my wife works in the medical market and um, they just got adult use in the city that she's in. And what she's realizing and I'm seeing as well um, when I was back in the medical market is a lot of people they just want like flavored stuff, like flavored pens and uh, things like that, that aren't That's what like, my experience too. home grower and cannabis like connoisseur might grab for. Um, they want like a vape pen that has like really fruity, sweet, whatever flavors or, or like orange or whatever, you know, it's just a, a different market than most of us are working in. Yeah. And there's a lot of, of market space. I think cannabis is damn popular, man. So th there should be room for, for different sort of approaches to it. And also, I would agree on that economic incentive point, you know, uh, if you really wanted to make it less strenuous, you would decentralize it, right? You would make it, you would make it easier for people to grow at home. You would, you would, uh, you would make sure that there were ways to recycle or to make other sorts of garden waste and other sorts of waste a little bit, you know, but like, what do I know? I am, I am no I'll say <laughs> civil engineer. 
the one thing I wanted to jump in about uh, the legal market that I sort of disagree with and you're sort of just referencing to it is there's not very many people that have the license and it's not easy to grow here in California. Um, I'm boycotting like a brand that I would have liked to try in the past because they were a cool breeder, but they're boycotting home growers rights in Michigan. So DNA genetics, who is carried by the delivery service my wife works at, she was like, oh, I want to try this flower. And I'm like, no, we can't support that because they don't support home grow. We're home growers. Like, I just can't stand for that. And I'm not going to vote with my dollar with a company that I just know is doing things that I yep. don't stand behind. So it was, you know, unfortunate to see, but it's all the way out here in California. There's other brands like Clout King here in California and uh, Sherbinsky's. So not going to. Yeah. And they're using the profits that they're making off of selling you the, those things to then lobby governments to make laws that work against their interests as growers. To be fair, specifically DNA hasn't uh, specifically given money themselves to the lobby, but they, um, are partnered with one of the worst motherfucking shops here in the fucking state of Michigan who does, they have the worst reputation of any place here. They, they've had to change their name. They were originally Green Peak and they've changed to SkyMet now because they've done so much rep, reputation damage to themselves. They, they've hired people through Craigslist, just random people off the streets to uh, protest for them, put them on Green Peak shirts up at the Capitol, protest uh, caregivers being able to sell uh, to the dispensary. So when Michigan's uh, adult use came online, huge demand couldn't be met. So they allowed the caregivers to bring flour in and Green Peak, who was one of the big producers here, protested the whole time. Ridiculous. And it so, is ridiculous. There's, so there's huge backlash that they got. So they changed their name to SkyMet and then they signed a deal with DNA, uh, a contract with DNA. And um, but to be fair, we brought DNA on the show. Shout out to Medical Mondays. Uh, we brought, uh, what was his name? Rez. He's a president of DNA. And uh, he basically said that he's they're good partners and he's going to stay in contract with them. So that's all I had to hear. I mean, he said that he, he was going to change them. I'm like, you're working with the absolute devil. There's a, you could pick anybody else. And uh, no, they're good partners, he says. I will say on the, the positive side of the legal market, I even like if I was to reimburse my buddies who grow their own per ounce um, can actually find some decent quality in the legal market for less than the more expensive of the two guys that I would reimburse for their growing. So it was cool to see the price point of some decent flour in the market because that's the one thing I'm the most picky about um, when we're trying stuff from the legal market. It's as a home grower, you kind of get used to stuff that was taken care of and loved and dried and cured properly and trimmed the way you like it. And um, you smoke it when you want it and you pick the strains and everything. So there's no real surprise. You usually get what you want and you enjoy it. But with the legal market, with the flower, oftentimes I'd say like 80 to 90% of the time, it's a disappointment for myself and many others that I've spoken with um, from the growing side of things. So it's just nice to uh, see there is some good flour coming to the market at good prices now. Uh, it might be like bulk and like white labeled from a different grow facility or whatever, or be grown, sun grown outdoor. But I have no problems with sun grown personally. I think that it can be really good. So one thing I will say is I'd have noticed like maybe a little bit more dust like on the flower. I don't know if they measure like dust or if that's in like foreign material screening, but I notice I get a little bit more of like a cough with some of the outdoor stuff. And I do think you can notice when you break it down, there's like a little bit of a dust on it, not just like key for trichomes or anything like that. Like, just uh, things from the environment. 
uh, growing what anywhere. things from the environment in the outdoors. Yeah, there's there's nothing out there. Not like the smoke particles flying around in California last season. Yeah, uh, contamination outdoors seems unlikely, Jack. I'd I'd, I'd reconsider this now. Um, yeah, there may be. I gotta get going, guys. I am I am late already. I'm gonna have to to take off. No worries. Thank you so much for joining us. I forgot that you said that you were going to leave at the hour. So thank you for yeah, hanging in a few yeah, extra minutes I'm there. I'm just getting cold in so many different directions. Um, we got some cool things coming on this week, though. We're going to start launching a new giveaway tomorrow. So come check out Cocoa for Cannabis and look for that. Um, and uh, we're signing up for the Plant Training Grow Challenge now. So if you guys want to get into, we were talking about plant training a while ago, and now we've got a whole challenge about plant training. It starts in August, um, but you can sign up now. And uh, yeah, doing a strain review giveaway for a couple of spider farmer lights this month too. So come on over if you guys need lights. We're giving away a bunch of free lights. Um, but I, I got I got to go. I have another meeting tonight, and I have to finish a video today. And we got to send out a newsletter. And ah, so um, grow love to everybody. I'm glad I was able to jump in for part of the show and uh, have a wonderful second hour. Thank you for joining us. Grow love, Doc. Grow or love, everyone. Grow or love, chat panelists, everybody. I'm sorry to leave you guys short-staffed, but um, it was uh, it was fun while it lasted. Anyways, I, had, I I was enjoying my time here. Yeah, it was a good. We had great conversation points. I I really appreciated the insight. Excellent, guys. All right, grow or love, everyone. I will see you guys next week. It's funny the uh, one piece or two pieces of critical feedback that we got from the audience. Ninety percent of it. I'd say like hundreds plus comments are like, great job, awesome show, we love it. <laughs> then there's like one or two people that have something, you know, that they don't like about the show. Uh, one of those things was Jack needs to stop talking. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, all right, I'll try my best. I'm the host. But there's sometimes short panels like this week where there's just the uh, three of us. And then the other one was like, all they talk about anymore is bugs. It's not even a grow show noticed, anymore. I noticed people said that. I, I really hope that that's not the uh, prevailing opinion that I. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> There's just a few, like the vocal minority that's like, oh, I'm not into bugs, so I'm not going to listen unless they're just talking about growing. So, Spartan, it's up to you now for the next like 40 minutes to carry us because yeah, they don't want to hear Jack and they don't want to hear about bug stuff. So, what are you smoking on and uh, how are things going over there? Happy Father's yeah. Day. We want to hear uh, from the. So what I'm smoking on, this is a cool story. This is fucking good as fuck. Dankman Dan, this is the number The number five is the winner, Dankman Dan. If you're listening, the number five is my pick. So my buddy Dan dropped off some samples of, okay, rewind last year. We had a little get together at my house, you know, during COVID and all that. We had to see each other, right? Missed each other. So did a little private get together there's only like four or five of us dan was one of them and uh i had this uh i had gifted to me from uh, a local the breeder sticky drip and he works with in-house genetic stuff and he gifted me a ton of feminized seeds that he was working with different projects where he would hit there was a slurricane project that he hit with a bunch of other stuff so i was like man i'll never grow all these out so i opened up that bag and I said, anybody here, if you're interested in any of these, just grab a pack and it's on me. But the only thing I ask is if you get something great, I want to, I want to cut, right? Dan ended up taking this one here and it was, I think it was called, it was something tsunami and it was a slurricane number 22 times a slurricane number 11 or something. So it was basically an F2 or F3 project. And, uh, 
so he brought those samples. Now this year he grew them out and he brought the, what well, he picked it, he had to narrow down to two. And um, so he brought samples for people to try and he met uh, Baked, shout out to Baked, up at the event yesterday, the 420 Med Fest or something up at Clio. And um, I went out to Baked's today and got the samples and I'm smoking on them now. And this number five is fucking good. Way better than the six. The six was really good, but this one is like the flavor stays through the joint. It, you know, it's not just good on the first hit. It's good all the way through. And uh, it's like blueberry, like not a blueberry when I pick a blueberry off a plant and eat it, but like the, you go eat a piece of candy that's labeled blueberry, that artificial blueberry. Uh, it's really good. I like it. As far as how it's going over here, it's been just going pretty good, man. I, uh, let me see, Father's Day. Uh, yesterday I, I went out with my son, had some, we had some breakfast. That was awesome. He got a job where I used to work a long time ago. Actually, I think it was, it was, the, so it's changed the company names, but it's still the same place that I worked at when I graduated high school. So that's funny. I'm going to have to talk to him about that. But uh, so he graduated high school and he's working there now. He's working third shift. Um, so it was cool to talk to him about that because I kind of knew some of the people he was working with and stuff. Uh, as far as growing right now, I have uh, my project that I did where I had the, uh, let me see. What do you list first, the pollen donor, or do you list the female first, then male? Okay, so the crop. It's going to be an ongoing project. This bliss bud. I'm just going to keep. I'm trying to make just the uplifting, happy weed. So anytime I get any kind of strain that's like that, I'm going to smash it into my bliss bud. But right now, the current iteration or whatever you call it, is the so the first. So it'd be sour diesel. Is there was the female, and then it was. Uh, I don't even know if there was a name for it, but it was a pineapple tie crossed with a sour strawberry. I don't know what, if there's ever a name for that. So it's like a, a tie and uh, that sour strawberry was a sour D cross too. So it's like sour D on both sides. And um, I have three phenos in my flower right now and they're just over halfway through, like just over four weeks or then a week five or six, something like that. And um, it's really interesting to see like to watch plants grow and see their like parents in them. Like there's one I can tell just by bud structure. I'm like, that is totally sour D. I mean, it's growing totally just like sour D. And then, uh, you know, the other ones would be like different versions in between of, of the, uh, of that, like that Highland tie. And, and uh, so it's cool. Um, I'm happy. I, I don't want to give a lot out on it. I haven't been talking about it a lot because I just don't want to give anybody impressions. I want to get actually everybody's honest opinion when I make these selections. And so uh, I don't really want to get into the smells, but I'm liking all of them. And uh, I'm excited about it. So we'll see. And, and another thing is I have them in, in my planners that have been really old. Like I think one's a fourth cycle and the other ones are three cycles. And I didn't notice that until I flipped them into flower. And I'm like, man, I really like to do new things in new soil <laughs> so, so they have the best chance. So I'm not making a weird selection, but oh, well. And I only had like eight of those seeds or six of those seeds or something like that. So I'm not even sure how many I have left. Uh, so these are pretty much it. I think I'm not, I'm not really going to have a lot to choose from. It's fun sometimes to do in a small little project, see what you come out with, see how the parents mix it up and uh, which one they're heavier leaning father or mother and, Maybe even sometimes recessive stuff pops up, even at the F1. 
it can be uh, crazy when you start experimenting you realize that they're the rules that people put out there in books and on the internet and cannabis forums aren't always correct so uh, it's best to try it for yourself sometimes and just have fun and mix them up and if you enjoy it then you know hang on to a cut and if you don't then you can always move on to something else yeah, yeah you want to hear a, a fun example of that um uh you know there was this this breeder of tomatoes i think it was tomatoes he was looking for a way to turn the flowers a different color um from from oh you know what i'm misremembering and i already know that i'm irrelevant at this point with the topic so keep going spartan I actually had a comment to keep Spartan on a roll because he was talking about the slurricane cross to slurricane. And in my experience, slurricane has been a little bit more grapey and has like undertones of like fuel and funk. So I'm curious if in that cross, if you're picking up anything else, that's why, like you said, I didn't want to taint your smell or flavor by asking or like saying how I thought it might smell. Because when you said blueberry, I'm like blueberry candy and grape candy could kind of be similar. It might be a similar ester or a combination of like terpenes and esters. So I'm just curious um, if there's any other complexity in that. Yeah, I get blueberry and like like the gas that you get in sour diesel, like that, uh, not the sourness of it, but the gassy back throat feel. I don't know how else to explain, a top, top mouth back throat feel of the, of the sour diesel uh, gassiness is in the background of this, but it's all blueberry up front and aftertaste. Like if you just let it sit, like in my mouth right now, it's just all blueberries. But as I'm smoking it and inhaling the smoke, I get the gassiness there. It reminds me of Doc Holliday's from Soap Cool. It was a uh, huckleberry cookies crossed the Hellfire OG. I was talking about how it was all fuel and like pine while it was growing. And in the beginning of the harvest, it was kind of fuely and pine. But then when I cured it up, I brought up uh, some of my honeymoon. We went and visit Sun Grown 707. And uh, he busted open the jar and he's like, dude, you were saying this thing doesn't smell like blueberries. And then he handed it over to me and it smelled like straight blueberry candy. So it cured out really well and uh, kind of surprised me because I didn't even look at the, it was one of the many things that we just had tucked in the back of the cure door. That's nice. That's kind of cool. A little treasure fucking hunt every time you open that thing. Yeah, every year we put our best nug of each harvest and like all of our buddies' best harvest. We'll take our favorite nug of any sample we get and put it in there and try it on 420, which is our wedding anniversary. So it's a fun little experience each year. Now that we have the curator, it definitely keeps the stuff a lot better. I'm trying to find, there's a little Leafly article that explains uh, the terpenes from fuel. And I'm pretty sure it's humulene, beta caryophylline, and uh, one other is like the main, it says five cannabis strains for people who love diesel. I'm gonna go screen, screen share. Uh, are you at least 21? Yes, okay, boom or go screen share. I think sometimes this adds a little bit of a nice variety to the show. Bringing yeah, in- have some... the actual info for sure. This is the shit I'm bad at, so. So I'm gonna try and make this full screen real quick. Okay, so five strains for people who love diesel terpenes. And then it shows OG number 18, uh, limonene, what's the one I was forgetting? Uh, caryophylline, that's usually beta caryophylline, and then myrcene is the combination. I was wrong about the humulene, but you can see there's a little bump out with the humulene. If we go down to the next one, you'll see a little bit more humulene, a little bit of pinene, and then uh, limonene and caryophylline, more dominant. But uh, Oregon diesel is another gassy strain. OG number 18, it's pretty fuely. Um, White Tahoe cookies, oops, there we go. Full screen, boom. I think that these little infographics are pretty interesting because for a long time, the narrative was indica sativa hybrid 
And now we're getting more information from the lab testing on strains and seeing like, oh, I like white Tahoe cookies. Like what about white Tahoe cookies do you like? It's got a certain amount of THC, but it also has a combination of terpenes. It's not just limonene. It's got some pinene, a spike of humulene, some myrcene, which is sedating, and a caryophylline, which is anti-inflammatory. So there's a whole bunch of different things that go into the smell and effect of the strain. I think that these are nice little references. I somehow clicked on it and now I'm stuck full screen. There we go. I'm gonna go back to the next one and then we'll kind of get back to, oh, Death Star, this is another good one. This is from Ohio, shout out to Ohio. That's where I'm from and uh, doesn't get enough cannabis credit sometimes. I think uh, yeah. Dumpster and Death Star are both from Ohio. And uh, there's also the stuff from like Meeks County Gold down there in the South near Athens. And uh, not the most notable, but definitely some good stuff. And uh, Death Star is yeah. some fire. Guys, must be the spiciness in the Death Star comes from that caryophylline, huh? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, fun fact: beta caryophylline uh, is like related to humulene. Uh, humulene is also known as alpha caryophylline. So they're both a little bit spicy. And uh, that's the little end of the leafly presentation for this evening about the terpenes that bring you that fuel aroma for people that are curious. Because a lot of people ask me, and uh, I've shared it with a few people in the DMs, but I think it's helpful for people to go through and look at the different profiles and be able to visually see it. Uh, I'm a bit of a visual learner myself sometimes, and I think that stuff can be extremely helpful, especially when you get a familiarity with the nose. Because when people say gas, a lot of people don't even like identify it as gas um, on their nose. So it's really interesting. You hand a jar to 10 different people and they'll give you 10 different things. Have you noticed that some people just use gas as slang for like a like good? Like, yes. oh, that's the gas. I'm like, stop. Tell and me I got exactly that gas. what it is. You, it's not gas. You know, they're just smoking something fruity. Oh, that's the gas. No. Like, oh, this runts is the gas. And it's like fruity as fuck. And it's like, no, that's not gassy at all. Like, that's like sweet. But um, I, I agree. It's become like dank. People used dank as like good weed for a while. But dank to me is like a, a smell. It's like kind of like a musky, like dank aroma. It, it can also mean good cannabis, but like gas kind of has that same thing. Like there's some cannabis that actually smells like gas, like gasoline fuel. And then there's other stuff that is uh, just like the slang. So I'm um, definitely, it's important to be clear. And I think a lot of people misrepresent their stuff because they're just trying to move it. <laughs> Say I got that gas and trying to push those bags, but uh, that's how it is. You it's know? like, it's like, if you think it's gas, awesome, dude, as long as you're, you know, Hey, here's the price. Thanks a lot. You know, have a good day. Like, I definitely agree with you. And like, you know, that's how, but that's how language is too, right? Like people will overexpand the original definition. Even perceived aroma. Like um, we'd mm -hmm. have stuff that's like gassy, but we had one patient. Oh, you cut down my end. I was saying he's cut out for me too. I was making sure it wasn't just me so he'll catch up like super fast. if it wasn't like old school west could stop talking usually and uh, it'll normally get a warning your connection uh can you hear me now yes. yeah you're back okay so um we had a patient when i was working at a medical delivery in the 215 days and i actually he was the only patient i ever brought medicine to who refused it because um, we had stuff that was like og crosses where it'd be like lemon with some gassiness to it or piney with some gassiness to it. He wanted like fucking jet fuel, like straight up gas, gas only like chem and like old school OG. And he wouldn't accept basically anything else. So there was times where I'd show up and I'd be like, it smells like it's pretty gassy to me. But then like, it was only one time 
And after that, my, uh, you know, supervisor was like, yeah, we're only going to send him like super, super gassy stuff from here on out. And, um, only literally like one of a few, like three strains. And, um, so certain people, I, I have a little bit of respect for that because I think the nose knows as a medical patient, um, in the 215 days, you used to be able to walk into shops and just nose a jar and you'd be able to look at a bunch of different jars and then you'd be like, this one smells good to me. You take it home, try it. And oftentimes that was the one that worked for you. Um, maybe it wouldn't, but you could take little notes and see like certain smells give you certain effects that you might be looking for and might not be looking for. So you can learn to avoid the stuff that might make you paranoid or might make you too sleepy and don't use that in the morning type thing. And you remember- Armstrong mentions, and that's a really great question. That's similar. What does exotic mean to you? something i've never seen before to me it means from another land like i think that's like the google definition is like um it's from I meant for like cannabis but i agree that informs my interpretation of the word but i mean so in uh google i just typed in for the adjectives it says originating in or characteristic of a distant or foreign country as a noun it could be an exotic plant or animal uh, which I think means that there's like very few of them. He planted exotics in the sheltered garden. Um, just, like I saw a Monsa plant that sold for like several thousand dollars the other day on the news, which was kind of cool. It was like a variegated, um, yeah. it was just, like, I think, yeah, it was crazy. Looked for terrible. I don't know why anybody would pay that much for that plant. Yeah, me either. It only had like- I'm glad I'm not in the Aroid business for sure. <laughs> it gives me hope for collectible cannabis plants like the Freak Show and other uh, mutants out there like Tao's plant that he put in the sun and ended up dying, I think. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I, I sort of have a similar definition for myself. Like if somebody says they have exotics, I'm going to assume that- they probably don't mean what I mean for starters, but what I would interpret that to be was something that uh, is sort of like Spartan said, unusual that I don't see here. But since there's so much trade and transference and all that stuff, I don't know like how fuzzy that word really is. It seems very fuzzy. To me, it comes off as like the new school dank or gas, like we were just talking about. Like exotic is now the designer weed. Oh, I got that exotic. This is like exotic sports cars, right? You, so you're going to pay for uh, uh, Bugatti, right? You're going to pay millions of dollars for it. That's an exotic car. Um, but people that are going to spend $200 on an eighth, which I can't even believe that I'm saying. I thought 100 on an eighth was ridiculous. People are spending 200 on an eighth and it's selling out in certain spots with certain brands. So there is that super ultra high-end luxury market. Not to say that I maybe see the quality there but it's interesting to see people paying it the demand is there i'll say that and it's marketing in my opinion it's all marketing so (laughs) i'm gonna sound like such an asshole so if i if someone mentions to me if if i ever like when you framed that question matthew that was great when you said you know somebody approached me and said i've got this exotics i'm uninterested as soon as i hear that word i'm uninterested because it can be, I'm, I'm very yeah. boomer when it comes to that. It's like, you come at me with that, then I'm not even fucking interested. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm already I mean, off. To me, like one of two things will happen. What you just described or the opposite will happen. I'll be, I'll have even more scrutiny for the phrase, for the, for the not loved phrase. Like, oh, okay, this is exotic. This is going to be interesting. This is going to be unique. Okay. Let's find out. Although really the state <laughs> yeah. is like where it's from, but again, like uh, it just seems, and then people will breed 
of course, because these are plants, you, know, you can take plants from different places, breed them with something that's domestic. Um, right. You know, is it is that exotic? Like we get I a just, ship of Thebes situation <laughs> real quick. <laughs> yeah, is, and just the nature of this industry and, and coming up and, and, and I guess I haven't been around that long, but going through what I know, it's like I've seen so many, there's a bad side to this industry, just like there is every industry. And to me, that's just another marketing maybe it's not a fucking marketing campaign we put up on billboards but it's the street level marketing campaign it's like we need something else besides dank everybody is on to that now we're going to call it exotic and then after exotic dies they'll come up with a new fucking word that they're going to fucking use and it's just the next word you know what i mean how many when you see these patterns when you get you know i'm four <laughs> over 40 now so you start recognizing these patterns, you know what I mean? Sometimes there's years in between, but you see these patterns. Even fucking fashion comes back. The same shit you saw back when you were a kid is coming right back around. It's, it's just, you see these fucking patterns and you see it's all marketing. It's just marketing bullshit. So I think my, my only advice to anybody trying to start their own business or in their own business is just get your name on your packaging because that's about the only way you can guarantee to get a good advertisement and make a good product. And and people are going to eventually hold on to it, hopefully. You know what I mean? You know, advertise what you can, but uh, don't. <laughs> Maybe pay for marketing if you want to, but I mean, that stuff, I, I would hope that the average intelligent person will eventually just, you know, see it for what it is. I think good cannabis sells itself. Um, like the really, really, really good stuff. It's just, it smells so good. It looks so good. And it, it's, it's hard to keep it. It doesn't sit around like it just moves. Um, what if somebody walked up to you instead of saying, I got some exotic, they said, I got this hype. I got the new hype. Is that like a good thing? Yeah, are you excited to saying. try the hype or <laughs> are you not excited for the hype? Yeah. Like, um, you know, there's a part of me that's going to peak because that's what hype, you know, ostensibly will mean. Right. But like, because people overuse it, I'm so desensitized or at least I feel like I am. Um, yeah i have to agree and and you know some stuff deserves it though and it's it's great like to me like runs it's like funny to make fun of because like a lot of people are like oh it's gelato cross or rebag gelato and it's not even some people don't even think it's a strain it's just like a made-up thing but like in my opinion all the runs that i've tried has been really good um so although it is hype in my experience every single from flower to concentrate thing the pink runs the white runs just regular runs it was all good whether in homegrown market legal market it was good everywhere i've tried it so i have nothing bad to say about it but i think it does have a hype tag along with it and i don't think i would pay five grand or something crazy for a cut yeah that's well sometimes sometimes brand sometimes things get like a brand recognition and then they get like it's like that icarus effect they get super popular and then they get memed you know into oblivion afterwards because there's no way that they could sustain that level of like hype essentially and then people people eventually start to attack it for the same <laughs> designations that they didn't maybe even ascribe to themselves. Others ascribe to themselves. <laughs> so sometimes you can really be a victim of your own success. Yeah, sure. It's a beautiful way of thinking about it. I think uh, one brand that I don't love, but I think that has kind of shockingly been able to overcome a lot of the scrutiny is cookies. They've stuck around. They've been around for a while now. I mean, a decade plus in the cannabis game is pretty decent amount of time for a like commercial type enterprise like them to be uh, still having people hype for their drops and running after those mylar bags making fake bags to put their stuff that's not cookies in and sell it in different countries <laughs> and states 
they don't exactly have the best reputation. They're just oh, they have a horrible reputation among a lot of people. But there cool. is a huge community that you go to their stores. People are lined up around the corners, and the people are are hyped for it. Walmart of weed, right there, man. I agree, and the people are gonna drink Bud Light, and people are gonna drink the uh, natural light, and then there's gonna be people that spend a lot yeah. more for a craft six pack. Every cart I see, I consider that the Bud Light of fucking the weed world, right there. As I'm puffing on one, but yeah, I, I agree. I typically wouldn't uh, toke on the cart, but at least like with now, you can say like there's no heavy metals anywhere in the you know carrier, and there isn't pesticides or any sprays like that and things like that. But I'm not hating on the cleanliness of it. I'm hating on it. it doesn't get me high. That's oh yeah, it. it's more for flavor for me and just like to have uh, the I'll fixation of puffing. Oh yeah. I have all my shit set up in the other room and like I could bring it in here. It's just like less convenient, I guess. It's not like I'm not allowed to. Like I fucking get smoking in any room. It's just uh I'm too lazy to transfer all the shit. They fucking invent new tools for us. It just makes us weaker as a race, man. Embrace the old ways. Get you that bong. I know. I have the bong, but I like to set it up with my vaporizer and you just get the double back to effect. The tools. Back to the tools. Just go back to the old ways, man. Sometimes the easiest way is the best. Reject I think modernity, the, embrace tradition. I should go to the zigzag. You know, everybody calls me the zigzag man when I start getting shaggy, like I am right now with the long beard. And they're like, hey, you look like the zigzag man. I got a bunch of fucking zigzag rolling papers, so might as well twist some up maybe get for uh, next week's show. Get you that same hat? That would be fucking dope. Oh, I've, I've already got it. I like unintentionally i mean <laughs> i had beanies living in ohio and a few of them came out to california with me in case i was gonna go up to the snow and you can get it here in the mountains in like a few hours you just drive to it it's fucking awesome dude you got to then you got to get the zigzag guy and put it as your background i was gonna do that for hash bash but hash bash was like digital this year and there's like the hash bash cup but that's not the same i want to go to like the hash bash with a really long tradition uh i think that guy comes on medical monday so that guy who is one of the mr hash bash yeah adam brooke Yep, he's on Medical Mondays sometimes. Uh, you want to kind of follow the Monroe Street Fair because if they cancel that, then Hash Bash is not going to... Whatever they say is not going to be Hash Bash. So, uh, yeah, look for the announcement on the Monroe Street Fair around that same time. So it's usually in April. I don't... I First Saturday it. of April is typical of what it, like, historically is, but it's been moved around a lot with uh, the pandemic and everything. And it's yeah, just been... talking about July, but uh, I haven't heard anything since, so I, I don't know. Well, and I know the Hash Bash Cup is a different thing, and I almost got, like, tricked into, not tricked into, but, like, it's almost like... They shuttle you from there to the Hash Bash, so it's not that big a deal. Oh, okay. I thought they were on different days. Like, I thought it was, like, one was a competition and one was, like, a... The one I went to, I went to the Cup, and uh, they just shuttled me out to the Hash Bash, and then they shuttle you back, and uh, then you can hang out at the Cup, too, if you wanted to. Some people rented the rooms out of there. They were smoking inside that. I don't understand how they could do it. The whole... You went through the front door of that hotel, and it was just smoke everywhere. The whole fucking place was smoked out. I don't know how they got away with that, man. They probably paid a fine right up front. Said, hey, we'll pay you X amount of thousand. What, what's the cleaning fee for the whole hotel? Like, it, it has to be astronomical because, like, for uh, cigarette smoking, they can charge you, like, thousands of dollars per room. They'll replace the carpet. They'll paint the walls. Uh, they'll replace the bedding and sheets and all that stuff. So it can definitely get crazy. I'm a fan of the, I think I saw somebody call it the Hawaiian hot box on Instagram the other day where you put the towel down in the uh, bathroom, run the shower nice and hot. 
and you can smoke in there. And if you want to make it an extra layer of safety, you can make what's called like a sploof or a zoom tube where you blow through a little like toilet paper roll and put some dryer sheets on the end of it with a rubber band and it'll make, cut down the smell a lot. And they make commercial bottles too. I think Smoke Buddy is one that you can get. Smoke Buddy, the sploofy is another one. And there's like filter, P-H-I-L-T-E-R. Um, so there's definitely a few brands where you can blow out your smoke through this basically like handheld carbon filter. Uh, the sploofy has replaceable little cartridges. So it's like a three piece little thing. Like there's a mouthpiece, the centerpiece where it's a carbon filter and then the basically exit air path. And uh, it's pretty cool. I, I think that if somebody was to travel, they're like, I don't know, between like 15 and 50 bucks. And that's way less than any smoking fee. So it'll save your ass. They work really well. And they're reusable. I mean, you just get different filters, right? Yeah, badass. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely a cool little stoner hack. Like, I wonder if you had two of these, and if you inhaled one and then blew out the other one with clean, fresh carbon filters, if that would work. I bet you would bring the smell down at least a little bit. I mean, it's bringing a lot of the tar and resin out of the smoke. So. All right, these are used, but I don't care. I'm going to try it. I'm going to take a big barn rip through one of them. And then I'm gonna blow the smoke through this green one, and we'll see if anything comes off. I use the uh, green one. I got my wife a pink one, and uh, they're definitely cool. I think um, it's nice for, like, if you have a larger mouth bong, even just like narrow down the uh, thing so you don't have to like. Some of the bongs are a little bit too big for people's mouth, and it makes it it fits perfect because the cone shape of the bottom, it'll slide into whatever bong, and you can also slip a joint or something on there, and uh, even vape pens work on there They've, they make small ones too for joints um that aren't so big and awkward i've i've slid a joint in one just try it it, it worked it just looks incredibly weird the vape pen is honestly like it gets you a huge fucking rip because like the amount of suction on if you're taking a rip like that it's like taking a bong hit of the vape pen but there's no water so you can kind of like wreck yourself a little bit because in my opinion i've never had a cart that's not like a little bit harsh i take less than three second draws to try and avoid like having a harsh cough um or at least like heating it for three seconds or less i never want it to be like flashing light i don't want to overheat the elements and things within there um so definitely urge people to try to go on the lower temperature and smaller size puffs just take a few more <laughs> fuck it it's always okay to take another puff people like uh trying to take those one gram dabs like uh it's kind of oh, yeah. cool i guess but why not to take like a few smaller dabs because I swear, my... god, oh. I swear to god you get higher dude with less like if you can i don't know it's something in my head like if i i, I do it every once in a while like if it's the first hit like i've been a while i haven't like i woke up or whatever it's been a while since i smoked i try to get like a concentrate and, I wonder, and then hit it as hot, hard as like a big of a fucking hit as I can get. And it seems like I get high just off that one hit, which normally never happens. I wonder if like, uh, if like it's a stupefaction thing. What I mean by that is like, okay, if you, if you take more of the product, if you smoke more of it, if you get more high or if you put more into your body afterwards, if I remember, if I'm understanding how you're putting this, then maybe you get to a point where it doesn't feel as high because you're so zonked out. But if you get objectively less of that material in your, in your system, however you want to quantify that. And everyone's a little bit different. Um, maybe because you're still more cognitive or, or you know, you, you can, you, you're cognizant of your situation more. So it feels higher because of that yeah, really. cognition. You would need I a think third it's... party observer to yeah. judge your highness. Yeah. 
Exactly. Well, it's exactly. also like sipping on a mixed drink that has like a shot of alcohol or two shots of alcohol in it versus just taking two shots of alcohol like back to back. So like if you're taking yeah. a huge bong rip and getting all that material in like one inhale versus like taking three or four inhales to take a smaller hit and finish the bong bowl in three or four hits as opposed to taking like one massive one and snapping it. Oh, there we go. He blew so it. I'd like you can still see it. I'd imagine it might still smell because those carbon filters are fairly thin. I would say fail. That will not do it. <laughs> fail. Yeah. yeah, you could still see the smoke. And with the sploofy and the um, smoke buddy and the filter, the smoke that was double like, disappears. Filter too. And that was white. That's just one hit. Um, you know, I have a I, I have a story I'd like to immortalize here. Um, I had a friend reach out to me. Actually, it's the same friend who I was talking about up in the high desert. Um, so he was told by, um, a friend of his that, uh, it's not possible for somebody to put like more than three grams in like a backwoods or something, um, some sort of cigarette to make, to make, um, uh, you know, a spliff, or whatever, but not a spliff, but, um, I can't believe I'm forgetting that word, man. Well, you can tell I'm not, not an OG. Joint? But I don't know. Not joint, not joint. But, uh, you know, with the backwoods, like you, you take out all the a tobacco. Blunt. blunt. I cannot believe I... <laughs> that it's is, okay. That's credibility killing. But here's the thing. He said to his, he said to his friend... Don't feel uh, bad, to my friend. I wish I could forget blunts. I wish I could forget the <laughs> My friend loves him so much, so I'm just so surprised. But anyways... So because of that, you know, my friend took him up on that and he literally said he'll go to his house, um, you know, buy his own material or use his own material that he grows buy the backwoods, put it together and then come back. Um, And uh, he proved it to him. And I just have to shout him out for it because like, I mean, even I knew that was possible. Like, I mean, like, how could it not be? How could you not? take the like i don't know if you've never dealt with dry material i guess that's true but both of them are avid smokers so i just i just couldn't believe it i just could not believe it i saw some people that they like complained about the dryness of their backwoods on instagram and then backwoods because they're like an influencer sent them like boxes and boxes of like fresh backwoods and like shirts and sweatshirts and all sorts of shit to like try and make up for it but i think it's like uh get your product in line you know um but the one thing we were talking about earlier with the big hit versus the small hit um I was watching, uh, their name is like Baba something. It's like a Afghani uh, hash page on Instagram. And the dudes are much older hash makers and they're t- hitting these huge chillums that are like the like long down stem and like these massive like wood or whatever, you know. And they're taking huge rips. And in the background, you can hear a dude just like, <coughs> and I commented, like not even jokingly, like, is there the thought that if you don't cough, you don't get high? In Afghanistan is that like part of the tradition or, or or belief because I've been told like if you don't cough you don't get off or if you cough you get higher maybe because the expanding and contraction of your lungs uh, taking in more of the THC or maybe you're just taking a big enough hit. I don't know what the I science behind way. it is but I feel that way and I, I anecdotally like if I take a hit or I hit it the wrong way or it catches me weird and I, I sit there and have one of those coughing attacks I always feel like I get really fucking high but like I, I'm always like, I don't want to say pride myself, but I always try not to cough. I, I don't want to cough. Um, it's not like an enjoyable experience. So I don't like stop myself from coughing. If I feel like I have to cough, I cough, but I try not to take a hit to where I would have to cough. I guess that makes sense. So 
No, that makes sense. I, I also don't enjoy coughing. I don't think it's great for your lungs, but at the same time, I feel the same experience of like, I do feel higher when I do get a big hit that makes me cough, whether it's after I've ex exhaled all the smoke. Me and Gene from Mendocino on Eagle Show the other night said he likes to get all the smoke out of his lungs before he coughs. And like sometimes stuff like pining uh, is, beta pining is like expansion in your lungs. It literally is like a bronchiodilator. It helps people with asthma. And so it'll open up your lungs, but it might make you cough for a few seconds. But then after that, I think maybe the um, effort of your lungs opening and closing like brings more blood to them. And then ultimately you're bringing more oxygen to your blood and more oxygen to your brain. And like that, that head rush alone can make you feel more high. <laughs> Cause like if you hold your breath for long enough, you start to like feel a little bit high after a minute, it's not safe. You start to kill brain cells. So don't go any longer than that. Yeah. That oxygen deprivation or whatever, for sure. Maybe that's got a lot to do with it because you're coughing, you're not getting as much oxygen for sure, I imagine. Yeah, people use a deprivation of oxygen for a lot of weird and interesting things when it comes to like alter state of consciousness. Yeah, I definitely nope, try I'm keeping it to PG. avoid the one thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not going to bring that up. The uh, thing I wanted to mention with that is like I saw a thing on Twitter. It's like bong hit challenge. How long can you hold down your bong hit? And I literally like Googled beforehand, like, how long is safe to hold your breath for? Because I didn't want to hold it too long and start killing brain cells if it was like 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> which um, some people would impl imply that it's that early, but it actually is after a minute, you start to see brain cell death. That's like for the more permanent brain damage and stuff. So I, I held down a bong hit for a minute before I blew out the smoke and like, I didn't want to go any longer than that. But I know Spartan growing at this point, it's normally when you go take care of the dogs and refill your trays and get ready for the Michigan Bros Grow Show and uh, get your final shout out. So I want to pass it over to you for final thoughts and, uh, let you do your thing. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Thanks for the show, man. I love the show. Fucking highlight of my week, man. I love hanging with you guys. And um, shout out to Chat too, man. It seems like it's get it's. I see the same faces, man. And I don't want to say it. I say it a lot, but I love that. It's like my favorite thing to see the same cannabis community just flowing from every show. And if I could watch every show, I'd watch every show. I just don't have the time in the day. So, but that shit makes me so fucking happy. So. Girls loved everybody out there, and uh, I'll see y'all in about 15 minutes. <laughs> Spartan Grown on Instagram, and you can email at Spartan Grown, but you don't have to watch every show, Spartan, because you're on about 80% of them, or at least most of the ones that I watch. So cheers to that, man. Uh, you make a lot of time for the community to share the knowledge, and we all appreciate you as well. So thank you. Thanks, guys, man. Love y'all. So for the two guys who have commented out of the thousands who listen who uh, don't appreciate the bug talk or the jack talk you can tune out now give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down we really don't care just click one of them either one works uh the other thing i was going to say is right now chat it's your time to shine q a time uh me and matthew are going to look through the chat and just give some shout outs uh, i'm going to shout out some people that i see often as well as uh, people that are just here tonight crispy wannabe is a regular st bernard's observation booth cheddar bob lg family farms spartan grown saying growers love to the chat katie armstrong. armstrong family farms concerned american i believe i've seen oscar green cheddar bob smart lg poker. didn't mean to interrupt sorry you're on a roll no no you're all good i was uh scrolling on my phone scrolling on the computer just doing a little bit of uh, each thing if people have uh, any questions i'd love to dive into them cheddar bob says free divers are insane i kind of was into it for a little bit until I start seeing people that are like really professional dying. Um, even with supervision, sometimes it's not necessarily the safest activity and uh, RIP to the people that have lost family. And uh, like myself, my dad passed last year. He did not to free diving, but to COVID unfortunately. So um, my father's day, this is the first year that I have not had him around. He was a big part of my family and a huge loss. So shout out to anybody who lost, not shout out to you, but I mean, sympathy to anybody who lost a uh, family member, uh, in the past few years, whether it was COVID or anything else, 
whether it was your father or a loved one, it can be tough. So be there for uh, people if you can. Uh, reach out to your other family members, make sure that they're okay, and uh, take care of your friends and all that good stuff. Because I think this community honestly has helped my mental health and uh, stability throughout the pandemic, having people to reliably come talk to each week and uh, be friendly faces, you know? Like I said, there's a few comments that were like, oh, we don't want to hear a bug show or we don't want to hear Jack talk. But uh, most people, like literally like hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands at this point have given us really positive feedback. And like, it's easy to just like take that and think, oh, we're great. And I, I do like to be critical and, and try to um, take things and make the show better. So if there was times where I was talking over people and uh, I listened back, I could try and better myself in the future and uh, let the people on the show talk. It's growing with my fellow growers, not growing with just Jack. Uh, that's Greenstock Talks. And I just don't do the shows very often. So it's uh, tough on the smaller weeks, though, where there's just a couple of us, but definitely uh, helps to give time to the chat and give time to my wonderful panel. Uh, speaking of which, I'm going to pass it back to Matthew while I go through and check out some of the chat because we've got such amazing people here that I just want to give some love to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, send those questions in. Uh, your your point about holding in the cough really reminded me of a um, <laughs> it's a, an anecdote that I remember from my from a while ago. Hold your Wii for a Wii. Nintendo had a um, like a Nintendo Wii challenge where people were encouraged to um, you know hold it for a Nintendo Wii, and uh, a lot of people had problems afterwards, and it was generally considered a really terrible idea um big pr problem this is might have been like a decade ago or so and uh yeah so so i mean people make these sort of uh events but then they don't even know like you know basic physiological problems with those ideas and yeah potentially even i would have made such a such an error in fact i think i didn't even know that that could be a huge problem um or not that the coughing um, or, or a huge problem as like, you know, as you described, like, like 30 seconds or like 45 seconds or a very, very short period of time before that oxygen deprivation is a, um, is a permanent issue. Yeah, it can definitely um, be permanent and a brain damage is a serious thing. So I want people to like really look into the stuff. And uh, even though some of these challenges on Instagram are fun, uh, you don't want like the Tide Pod challenge or something. That was one where it ended up killing people. So internet mm -hmm. phenomenons can be dangerous and people have to uh, be considerate of their own safety when they're considering participating, even if it looks like a fun thing and part of the community. So uh, I'm glad that not many people can even hold their breath for a minute. <laughs> so yeah. I don't have to worry too much about people taking a bong rip and holding it for a minute. I think most people are holding it down for like a few seconds. I took a really small bong hit and I, practice holding my breath for swimming and uh, I used to be a lifeguard so that was something that we would try and like swim full Olympic pools under the water and you'd see people black out and things like that uh, which is not good one thing I wanted to say Mike Denver in the chat had a great comment okay. it's a question but they said bugs are a subcategory of growing IMO which means in my opinion I would have to say I 100% agree it's like I would even venture to like give it a step up from a subcategory of growing look at what Brandon Rust who He's a friend of mine and I'm a little bit biased, but in my opinion, he's one of the most successful commercial cultivators that I've come across. He has healthy grow after healthy grow. Uh, all of his product is moving. He's really happy doing what he's doing. The plants look great. Um, it's hard to argue against Brandon's practices. I think he's doing great. But what did he say a few weeks ago on the show when he was here with us? 50% of their budget. What was it dedicated to? IPM. Half of his cultivation budget is directly to IPM. So we talk about it a, a fair amount. One, because we have uh, 
staff writer at Skunk Magazine. I mean, it's not like Matthew's there because he's a slouch. He does a great job with IPM. He's knowledgeable. We want to share the good information, but it's a huge part of cultivation. You can't cultivate if you don't have proper IPM. You have to look out for pests and uh, things like that that can potentially make you not successful in your home grow. So the reason we harp on it is because so often people don't worry about pests until they have them. And then they're like, what is this? And then they start realizing there's damage and they didn't realize what that damage was going to look like because they never researched, oh, these certain pests, you know, or molds lead to these type, types of science. So if you could identify it early, you can help, you know, uh, be proactive and, and fix the issue a lot sooner if you're aware of it in advance, where a lot of people, they're just blindsided by it, unfortunately. And uh, it can be enough to make people stop growing. I've seen that happen. I have seen that happen. I don't want people to invest sometimes it's like people's life savings. So most people can't pay a $500 emergency bill. So to get set up for cultivation, I know even to do a tent grow, it can be, you know, up to a grand, one to two grand just to get yourself set up. And if people are putting that amount of money and time and dedication into something to have a, a failure could be a huge detriment to their uh, health and life. They might need that medicine. It might be a huge investment and a loss that they don't see as something that they can overcome. So I want people to have the best opportunity for success. Um, there are always going to be critics of every show, uh, no matter what we talk about. I know you'll never please everyone. <laughs> so I happily accept the criticism and we always do try to improve the show. And um, I think that there's only so much that we can do. Like in tonight's case, it's just the two of us. So unfortunately, people are going to hear Jack talk, but I think most people here are uh, happy with that. So I'm not going to focus too much more uh, on those people and that feedback. So. No, I thought it was... I I think that's totally fine to get that kind of um, uh, that kind of feedback, to be honest, if somebody does feel that way, if we think that that's the case. But I do think that there's a reason why the proportion is the way that it is. And I just want to say, like, uh, you know, whether it's bugs or, or any other kind of threat, people often don't threat model effectively. Uh, and that includes myself. Uh, you can include even things like, you know, um, even like people like just aren't hygienic sometimes. That's a that's a vulnerability, you know, that can cause problems with your body long-term that people don't recognize or don't acknowledge in the moment. Um, you know, the, the uninterrupted power source I was just talking about, you know, um, I spent tons of money getting my data recovered. If I had to go through that again, that'd be uh, professionally and personally devastating. And for the amount of money that I spent on the UPS, it's pennies on the dollar for what I recovered. And so like, you know, and most people have a desktop computer hooked up to their power grid. But um, I bet if we pulled the people in chat, I, I bet most people don't even have a UPS for their computer and they have all of the data they've ever, that they have, you know, on their hard drive that themselves probably don't have a copy somewhere else. Um, and maybe that doesn't matter to them. And that's totally valid, by the way. But for me, that would have been a huge problem. And um, I just, you know, it just goes to show that whether it's IPM or, or finances or, you know, any other aspect of your life, you know, people just typically don't look at everything. That's why I like some ec economical theories about people that assume that we're perfectly rational or that we have access to all information are inherently too simple because we don't. Um, and that goes for the microbes too, for that matter, microbes or plant health you know, we don't know, we don't, it's too simple to even say we don't know all the answers, but we definitely don't know um, 
a lot of things, a lot of specific interactions. And I think science, as I posted in my most recent Instagram post, um, you know, scientism is not science. Science is a process. It's a bunch of other things. Um, uh, you know, there are philosophical aspects of epistemology and those sorts of things that allow us to like kind of grapple with what do we actually know versus what we can, you know, sort of discern from observations and experiments and things. So I acknowledge all of that in my, in my work. Um, and I think that's really crucial for people to understand, like a paper comes out, that's just one paper. One person comes out and says, Hey, this has been my observation. Look, I have a website and look, I, you know, I'll sell you this service, you know, trust me. Um, you know, you don't have to verify it with like other research or, you know, don't ask me if it's peer reviewed, you know, um, people, people, uh, people don't like to uh, be contradicted, but at the same time, I think it's important to have like neutral third parties. And I know I'm rambling a bit, but when it comes to trying to find somebody who's an expert in your field or another field that you're less experienced with, um, I think people should really verify and not roll over for somebody's anecdote. Um, if they might say that they have data or that they have research, but really press them to like actually look at it and review it. Um, and if they're cagey about that kind of a thing or proprietary um, and they have an, a financial incentive to not be disproven, um, I don't know. I think that's usually a red flag. Yeah, the goal of science is to disprove most theories. That's how you know it's a good theory if you can't disprove it. Like gravity is, is uh, the best theory because it's so hard to disprove. It's like when somebody drops a, a ball off of the building and they see it fall, it's like, all right, how are you going to say there's not some force pulling on that object? And what is the force if you think about it and the smarter people than myself have figured out all the forces and can demonstrate uh, lots of interesting things with uh, that but it's still considered like our best theory a lot of people hypothesize about things and white papers are definitely interesting um i agree with you that people shouldn't be uh, worried about them being disproven the whole point of science is it should be replicatable and uh, i think that's like where the good science lies and oftentimes it doesn't but that helps us continue to learn um failed experiments are unfortunate for those people because they're investing money or taking their funds that they've gotten from whatever opportunity and maybe mm -hmm. they're feeling that it, like it's squandered but i think it took like 50 something opportunities before they figured out how to do the light bulb um so sometimes it's just one of the several steps on the pathway to success and um, so failure is not always necessarily a failure if you can learn something from it Right. I mean, and even even the, the scientific understandings that we have now are in some ways wrong, right? Because we're still improving our knowledge. So it's not even, it's really not a degree of rightness, but a degree of wrongness from which we use scientific processes, which there are various to like be a crucible to like figure out what's going on. But um, yeah. like who is the I'm, least wrong? <laughs> right. Exactly. The American one in the chat who just joined us uh, digitally via the text he mentioned that he wasn't going to be able to join us ahead of time so we knew that he wasn't going to be with us i also want to shout out noah the grower and brandon rust who are normally our panel members as well as uh, kyle from predicative breeding uh, they're all great guys and we'll probably be back on the show next week or in the upcoming weeks they're uh, still members of the panel and we'll be back to talk more grow stuff and i love it when there's a big panel and I love it when there's small panels because uh, it's nice to allow some of the people who don't get to talk to talk more 
And uh, on the bigger panels, it's cool to kind of see everybody's different varying opinions. And we started off with a single topic tonight, I think, and tried to push it as far as we could through the first hour. And we got into a whole bunch of different stuff towards the second hour, but had a great time. And so I want to pass it over to you as uh, my only remaining panelist to give your final thoughts and shout out before we get closed up. Final thoughts. Um, if you're looking for advice, if you're looking for information for IPM, I'm happy to help you out. You can find me in a number of places. Um, YouTube, my YouTube channel is Zenthanol. You can find me on Instagram at SyncAngel. You can find me on Twitter at SyncAngel. And you can find me on my Discord, which Cheddar Bob mentioned um, in the chat, which I really appreciate. Um, I have a Discord, I have a Patreon. You can sign up at my Patreon and you'll get exclusive access to the Discord. You're able to chat with other people on the Discord. And we've been having some pretty cool uh, interactions lately. And uh, I really enjoyed this as a my sort of casual advice help medium because I can type on it. And um, there's a lot of other uh, super helpful things like links and, and uh, that kind of thing. So um, you can find me there if you want to support that information. Other than that, I'm an IPM specialist and I'm a professional who's interested in finding the best practices for cannabis cultivation and other kinds of cultivation. And uh, let me know if I can help you out. Thank you again for joining us. I always appreciate your input. I'm a big fan of uh, bugs. And as I've taken over as host of the show, I guess I could take it the direction that I see fit. Uh, for going back to the reference, we did try a number of people as hosts of the panel for a few different weeks. And I think um, people just ended up having me do it because they either preferred me do it or they didn't want to do it themselves or didn't feel whatever the reason may be. We tried probably everybody being a host for a week at a time. And uh, so we might even be open to doing that again in the future and just having more uh, specific concentrated episodes. So we're always trying new things and taking feedback and uh, really love and appreciate the community behind the show. Uh, it's been going for over two years now, which is awesome to have something this consistent and helping so many people. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody. Uh, I also want to say thank you to Medleaf in Oceanside. They carry my book, 50 Strains of Green. Uh, if you want a first edition paperback copy, they also have some good flour. I mean, just really good stuff as well as uh, I've been trying their different edibles and drinks and things like that. I've recently enjoyed like a pineapple drink that you pour little shots of. I'm not an alcohol drinker, so it's kind of fun to like take shots of something that's actually tasty and gets you a little bit medicated. And um, yeah, just really enjoying lots of their different products. I'm not paid by them or anything, but my wife works there and she enjoys her job and they're great people, female owned. They support a lot of veterans and partially veteran owned as well. Uh, so that's awesome to see in the cannabis community. And I want to support those types of things and uh, people that support growing rights. So cheers to them. And lastly, I guess myself uh, at Jack Greenstock. Oh, the other place that my book is carried um, is if you're in Maine, you can get it in person from Kineos Garden Center and in Michigan from Great Lakes Genetics. So shout out to all those people for carrying the book. I really appreciate that. I just uh, had a few orders today on 50strains.com as well. So if you want it on the website, you can find it there or just DM me directly at Jack Greenstock, like you can see behind me on Cannabuzz or Instagram and Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And you can email me at jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. Thank you all for coming. I really appreciate everybody. There's over a hundred of you every week, which is kind of mind blowing. And thousands of you listen, uh, like hundreds of thousands of listens to all these shows over the years. And it's kind of mind blowing to see this community just continue to build and support each other. And a lot of familiar faces keep showing up. So thank you all so much. Jack Greenstock signing off. Girls love. See y'all next time.